Hey everybody, welcome back to the Luck It All podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com, photo, video, digital media production. Today we are discussing James Cameron's long-awaited 2022 Avatar, The Way of Water. Just got out of the theater from seeing it, saw it in uh, Regal Cinemas with the 3D Real D glasses. Now, I know everyone's going to see this movie in several different aspects. Maybe they might see it in IMAX. You might see it in standard 3D. You might see it in just standard 2D. Um, going into it, I would recommend if you like 3D movies, I think you're going to say this is going to be the one for you. If you don't like 3D movies, then just see it in the standard uh, 2D um, format. And so just kind of wanted to get that uh, formatting up front. But let's talk about this movie movie a little bit more before getting into a little bit more of the nitty gritty. So uh, Avatar The Way of Water is a 2022 American epic science fiction uh, science fiction film and the sequel to 2009's film Avatar, both directed by James Cameron. It is distributed by 20th Century Studios as the second film in the Avatar series. And since then, Disney has purchased 20th Century Studios. Um, Cameron produced it with John Landau, who wrote the screenplay with Rick Jaffa and uh, Amanda Silver, who are an American screenwriting um, film production couple. Um, who are known for the planet of the most recent Planet of the Apes movies? Um, so this is based on a story the three wrote with Josh Friedman and Shane Salerno. The cast members are uh, Sam Worthington returning back, Zoe Saldana, Stephen Lang, Joe, David Moore, C.C. Pounder, Giovanni Ribisi. Uh, Dilip Rayo and Matt Gerald reprise their roles from the original film, with Sigourney Weaver returning in a different role. New cast members, including Kate Winslet, Cliff Curtis, Eddie Falco, and Jermaine Clement, have joined the cast as well. And so, we've got the uh, behind the scenes of this. So, let me kind of give you some of my critiques of Avatar going into the movie before actually seeing it. So going into it, we've already kind of done the Avatar 2009 review. Go back and check that podcast out. But in a quick summation, I would say that Avatar 2009, very visually impressive, definitely changed the the landscaping of how film was created, made James Cameron, like I said in the, in the podcast is always about five, every 15 years, 10 years is kind of pushing the, um, medium forward. And so avatar, the way of water is no different from the rest of his work with regards of how it's pushing the film medium forward. It is, um, you know, going into it, I was expecting really, you know, amazing visuals just as the first one the first one didn't have the heart it was way more camp this one has the heart and so I think that Avatar the way of the water is way more of kind of the Empire Strikes Back the Force Awakens ish to the original movie that has come before when I say that you know it's it's uh, kind of improving upon not necessarily changing up in directions that I think are um 
unorganic. I feel like this movie is much more of the perfected version of what the 2009 version probably would have been. So with saying that, you know, right off the top, should you see it? Absolutely. I think this is going to be a movie that is going to be an experience to see with friends, family, random people in the theater, whoever. It's an experience like none other. I've watched a lot of uh, Our Planet and Our Universe. It's nature documentaries on Netflix and stuff like that. And kind of going, watching that, going into watching the Avatar The Way of the Water, it felt seamless in transition. It felt like I was watching a nature documentary for most uh, of the slower scenes of this movie in the best ways possible. It was just absolutely luscious with color. The world felt lived in, the special effects. There wasn't... Um, with the exception of the high frame rate, which we're going to talk about in a minute, um, I thought the special effects were outstanding and, you know, they pushed the medium forward. Now, let's talk about the high frame rate real quick because there's different aspects of this movie. You kind of have to break it down, each from the production, how, how it's been... Um, how it's been in kind of production hell for like eight to 10 years or something like that since like 2009 and uh, just constantly being pushed back on the timeline to the fact of they're like, Hey, we've shot about two or three avatars. We got them locked and loaded into the chamber. You know, it's all about, you know, um, the special effects and how much box office money that can come in and uh, justify how much it's going to be. Um, how much they should put into these movies. So like I said, in the first Avatar 2009, that one grossed almost $3 billion on, I think it was about a $2 million, $200 million budget, $237 million budget. And so for this, we've almost doubled the budget up to $350 million to $400 million. Not, I don't think that includes promotion and marketing. So you got to add that to it. I think James Cameron has been on several interviews since, um, you know, the campaign for this movie to come out and has just said that the business model for this types of these types of movies are just not sustainable. They have to create so much money to uh, justify its worth. Now, I am curious if this is going to make people want to buy uh, Avatar merchandise. You know, I talked a little bit about that in the 2009 film as well. So, like I said, different aspects of this movie we're going to try to cover each one that we can as uh you know efficiently as possible so yeah it was in pre-production hell a lot of people were kind of like a little bit uneven about the first movie did we like it did we not like it most people thought it was respectable but not anything that people remembered and referenced all the time they like i said they didn't have many lines that uh really stuck out you know the the will be backs of the world people weren't saying you know i see you daily and now you know people might be I don't know people were kind of saying I see you now as ironic ironically because that nobody remembers it um so people have gone back a lot of critics have gone back checked out the first avatar 2009 said you know are we gonna have an avatar the way of water where everyone's gonna we're gonna have Stephen Lane coming out you know saying we ain't in Kansas no more and these things gonna eat your eye like juju beads you know like is it gonna get that kind of campy and wacky and for the most part 98 percent of this movie is uh way more serious of uh of a sci-fi film way more of an a action sci-fi film as opposed to like a b action sci-fi film where things kind of have to be explained and talked about uh to someone that might not understand it quite as well unobtainium kind of levels um, and I do know that that was uh, referenced in the core, if anyone's going to try to say that that wasn't real or anything. But whatever. 
Let's talk a little bit about uh, the behind the scenes on this. Cameron stated in 2006 that he would like to make sequels to Avatar uh, if it was successful and announced the first two sequels in 2010. Following the widespread success of the first film with The Way of The Way of Water, aiming for 2014 release, however, the addition of three more sequels for the total of five Avatar films and the necessary uh, sorry, the necessity to develop new technology in order to film uh, performance capture scenes underwater, a feat never accomplished before led to significant delays to allow the crew more time to work on the writing, pre-production, and visual effects. The filming process, which occurred simultaneously with a currently untitled third Avatar film, began in Manhattan Beach, California, August 15, 2017. Wow! They began filming Avatar 3 2017. Jesus. Um, so, and moved to Wellington on uh, September 25th, 2017, concluding in late September 2020 after three years of shooting with an estimated budget of 350 to $400 million. It is one of the most expensive films of all time. So, okay, so the reason that this is such a high budget, I believe, is because they did shoot two and three at the same time. So that would kind of make sense with regards to, um, you know, how they got everyone together to do all this uh this type of movie it's 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 a massive endeavor and they're kind of what i hear they're kind of shooting it similar to like uh how you would shoot a television show but then again i would have zero ounce of an idea of the type of scale that this type of production would have to be under um for this to be completed following repeated delays in the expected release schedule avatar the way of water premiered in london on december 6 2022 and theatrically released in the united states december 16th 2022 the film released sorry received positive reviews from critics with praise for its groundbreaking visuals technical ambition cameron's direction and world building characterization cinematography musical score and production values whereas the story screenplay plot and three hour long runtime 192 minutes it was a chunk one i'll be honest received negative reviews um i wouldn't necessarily anything i have to say is negative necessary necessarily negative now let's kind of get into like the little nitty-gritty parts of it um this movie is very much like story first we have like what feels like six hours of story we have to cram into about three hours so this feels like we're on auto drive and there is some uh be- the beginning parts feel like we are trying to just get to the get to the meat of the muscle of what is this movie going to be about and i feel like we don't really have the center gravity of the heart of i was not fully emotionally invested till about halfway through the movie where there is the single scene that tells you this is why you should give a shit about jake sully and his family and so um in that single scene in the middle is what makes the price of admission totally worth it. I, I completely just was like, oh, you know, I was having a great time and, you know, my heart was in it, my t- tears were swelling up and stuff like, you know, I was like, you know, I'm really in this shit. I was like, you're really doing the camera. I mean, God dang, man. I mean, I want to be in there. I want to have a cry about it. God dang. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I was, uh, I was here for it. Speaking of, okay, so, I'm going to hop back and forth a little bit. High frame rate. Let's talk about it. Some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. The gamers, people that understand different frame rates, people that understand videography and how how smooth frames are coming at you. I believe we're recording this currently at 24 frames per second. So um, 
24 frames so it's uh, a little bit uh, more smoother but you can go even more smoother or debatably smooth I don't know what exactly the right word would be called but um, when you shoot in slow-mo when people shoot in slow-mo people everyone has seen like the balloon dropping and it explodes and you can still see the water right there because of the outline and it's in super slow-mo because it's in so many frames there's a ton of frames making up that water balloon or slow motion thing happening you know you've everyone seen the a bullet shooting an apple or something like that and it exploding and the apple going you know the reason you can see it is because it has so many more frames so um, you know, just kind of to dumb it down, the reason you would want more frames is so you could kind of see the action a little bit, a little bit more smoothly. The thing is, if you add too many frames to a scene that doesn't really necessarily have that action that requires it, it becomes kind of this weird, uncanny video gamey valley that people might not uh, adjust to very well. I noticed going to the, going into this movie. That is something that uh, is going to bother some people. Some people are going to be like, what is going on? Is it the three? I think most people are going to, I think the general audience is going to think that it's the 3D that's making that happen, but it's not. It's not the 3D, it's the high frame rate. They've done it it with uh, the Hobbit movies, which got a lot of, um, they were kind of panned for it. That Ang Lee, Gemini Man movie, Billy Zane, Billy something's long halftime walk uh, did the high frame rate as well. The reason you want to do it is to kind of have things look a little bit more smoother. But this movie, for some reason, decides to do it off and on. So it turns the high frame rate on and off. I'm not saying when it turns it on, it turns to slow-mo. I'm just saying that it turns the high frame rates on like midway through a scene. And I don't necessarily think that that is the smoothest transition into using the high frame rate. Um, so when you're first watching it, you're kind of like, you're like, why is this kind of like coming back and forth? And several times I was watching it at the beginning when people were just talking, it felt like uh, the button should be popping up in the corner that says click right button or right trigger or click A so that you can get your character to do this. I, multiple times I was like, it kind of feels a little bit like I should be playing a video game, especially after playing uh, Spider-Man two, uh, two or three years ago on uh, PlayStation that the the video gameness quality of it is is kind of blending in with the CGI quality and the frame rates are kind of overlapping those mediums a little bit and I think that some people are gonna like it and some people aren't gonna like it. Um, let's continue on. So we have Russell Carpenter coming back as the cinematographer, same cinematographer as The True Lies, worked again with Cameron as well as. Uh, winning an Academy Award for Best Cinematography for Titanic. So this guy, he's uh, he's kind of notable, just a little bit. Um, and again, this guy, this this guy is seventy two. Think about this guy being on this project. He was sixty two almost when they had announced this. Um, so I I couldn't even imagine that. Uh, just thinking about how much this movie would have taken up so much of their lives. I know Cameron, obviously, because he's, you know, head of it. But still, I'm like, my God, this guy's, you know, the, it, if each movie's going to take 10 years, it's like the, by, by the time the fourth one comes out, it's just going to be, you're going to be like 80, 90 years old. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's Russell Carpenter, the cinematographer. And I love the way this movie looks. Um, si- single frames of this, I just want to have like, 
hung on the wall or something like that. Uh, the music by Simon Franklin. I don't think it's, it's definitely not the same guy as the original. The original guy was James Horner. Um, and so we are bringing back, or sorry, we're bringing Simon Franklin on here. Franklin. Um, so he did work on Avatar 2009, but I don't think that that was his, he was not the main guy on that to my knowledge, but I think I'm seeing film work, um, Magnificent Seven, Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge, you know, he's got some notable stuff on there, Dances with Wolves, um, I haven't heard that one too, too often, The Amazing Spider-Man, 2012, 2012, so anyways, uh, yeah, I like the music as well, so let's kind of get into this a little bit more of the nitty-gritty, um, lot lot to kind of go through but we will see how we can um navigate through this uh avatar plot okay so before we get into it i want to give the uh give the rating for everyone that has not seen avatar the way of the water the way of the way of water not the water the way of water um so this movie gets uh eight out of ten for me mostly strictly because the movie is um it's a spectacle it's an experience it's something you want to share with friends family random strangers in the theater it's a reason that a lot of people would probably go to the movie theater and um yeah i i was kind of on the fence i was about a seven out of ten for about half the movie and then it just kind of uh, I think there's this one scene we'll talk about in the middle that just it flips it, turns it on the dime, and I'm like, wow, this is this is something noteworthy. This is something to recommend, and uh, I definitely think it's on my top ten of the year. So let's hop into the plot for Avatar: The Way of Water. Eight out of ten. Thank you for listening, watching Look It Out podcast. Thumbs up, subscribe. You know what to do. Everyone that is dropping off right now, and. Um, yeah, be sure to go to uh, luckadogpodcast.com for the entire library if you want to help support the podcast, patreon.com slash luckadogpodcast. There's commentaries. We've talked about the first Avatar um, commentary on there. We've got reviews in the uh, feed. We've got tons of other reviews, a lot of Halloween stuff we did back, uh, back in uh, October as well, and we have tons of more reviews coming down the pipe as well. So be sure to stay tuned, luckitoutpodcast.com, and here is the plot for Avatar The Way of the Water. The Way of Water. I keep saying the water, way of the water. It's way of water. All right, let's do it. Here's the plot. More than a decade after the events of the first film, almost what feels like in real time, Jake Sully is the chief of the Omataka and raises a family with Natiri, which includes his sons Natiam and Loek. His daughter took adoptive daughter Kiri, born from uh, Grace Augustine's inert Navi avatar, which I got questions about. It's like, who the father is? And... I don't know. And a human boy named Spider. The son of Colonel Miles, Quarch, who was born on Pandora because infants 
cannot survive cryostasis, cryostasis journey to Earth. To the Navi's dismay, the RDA returned to Pandora to colonize it and build a new operating base and settlement called Bridgehead City. Among the new arrivals is Corix, uh, cloned as a Navi and uploaded with his templates memories from before his death. So let's talk about this a little bit. It's, this beginning is, I think it jumps around a lot. It is kind of what feels like the first 30 minutes or the first, I don't know, 40 minutes is trying to gather everything we've learned about the previous movie, what we're got to learn about this new movie, all these different new characters, what happened to Colonel Miles. He has a new son. They have some uh, Jake Sully and, uh, and uh, uh, Natiri have all these kids. I was a little bit on edge about the kids because sometimes kids can be a little bit, you know, not they're just written bad honestly usually it's not the kids fault it's normally they're written bad i think these kids in the, in the entire movie are pretty damn excellent um sh short little thing natiri is a little bit on the short string on this movie she, they don't give her tons to do till relatively the end um jake sully he's not in this movie tons i feel like most of this movie does focus around the kids for better and I think that it's a little bit more inquisitive in learning about the way of the water and the Pandora world through the eyes of the kids instead of kind of boring and dull Jake Sully and when I say that it's not Sam Worthington I'm saying the character Jake Sully um I've, I've watched Avatar 2009 and I was like it's not Sam Worthington's fault that his character is dry as a bucket of nails and I guess that's a bucket of, I don't know, a bucket of wood. I don't know what the hell's dry. But anyways, he's just super fucking dry in that movie. This movie, he has more of a motivation under an understanding and not so much of a sinister motivation as the first one. Everyone knows if you've watched the first one, considering you have because it's the second movie, spoilers for it if you haven't, that over half the movie, Jake Sully is quote-unquote undercover working for Colonel Miles trying to figure out how to get under the mother tree or the human tree or the life tree or whatever. Um... He has sinister motives. So thus we are we have lost and do not have the heart that this movie inherently has. You know, our main proxy character of the first movie, Jake, is an ass. This movie, he's kind of, you know, eyes wide open kind of thing. Um so let me see what else we gotta do. Um oh, Colonel Miles Corrick. Um couple issues not his character is very two-dimensional um basically he's made a clone of himself and his clone is an as an avatar version of himself but the rest of his team is also avatar versions of themselves which i didn't understand why everyone was doing that if so if anyone dies in this world you can basically become an avatar version of themselves which is kind of a scary way to think about it um with regards of like the story element. It's like, all right, so technically no one ever really can die. If you can just create a clone, it's a clone of a clone. You know, it's it's essentially him. It's a way to bring him back. Um, kind of a mixed feeling about it. I wish they would have uh, tapped on the the parental figure of him in the Spider Boy a little bit more. It feels like it's something that they want to kind of save for a later movie, maybe three or four. Um, but overall. Overall, I like the connection with the Spider-Boy and uh, Colonel Miles. Colonel 
Miles just needs a little bit more dimension to him, and I think that that's what that kid was close to doing. Um, and I also think Colonel Miles is actually the father of the adoptive daughter, Kiri, who is played by, I think that is actually uh, Sigourney Weaver as well. Um, and they make a really big deal a little bit later on. I'm kind of skipping around about it, but I don't want to forget um, about the father of who he is. And, and it looks like she's talking to Grace Augustine and in one scene she's about to tell her. And then all of a sudden it's like she has a spaz attack and then we never come back to it. So I guess we're going to come back and another movie and talk talk about that but i was like how did this happen again so colonel so if we wind back that grace augustine was killed in battle um in the 2009 version and i remember they were trying to transfer her into her avatar body and it didn't work and so what happened was they i guess they kept her body and now they have it in kind of like a back to tank like from star wars and whatnot so uh yeah i think that rounds everything up my overarching feeling was it was a little bit choppy getting back into this world i was i was a little worried jake initiates a guerrilla campaign against the rda supply lines Quirk conducts a counter insurgency mission against jake by leading a group of other reconnaissance marines resurrected as navi recumbents now i think it's uh, it's kind of right here where colonel miles is just obsessed with Jake Sully and it's mostly because of his his human self recording you know recording some uh, recording a message to himself and saying you know if you want revenge on somebody which you're probably going to want um then it's Jake Sully you're going to need it's like all right so it just feels like Colonel Miles is just like uh, almost like the Terminator in the same way like just like looking at this guy you know just Anything he does, it has to be to, to get Jake Sully kind of thing. And I kind of wish he was a little bit more dimensioned and just be like, uh, kind of like he was in the first one where it was just not necessarily about a guy. It was about a mineral. And so uh, let's continue. And to be honest, I it doesn't look like the... Uh, the Navi have really gotten much of an upper hand against the RDA of, you know, the colonizers. It seems like it's only gotten worse, which kind of surprised me. During a patrol, Korich, that's a hard name, Korich uh, captures Jake's children, Jake and Natiri, arrive and free most of them, but J uh, Spider is taken by Korich who recognizes the boy as his son. He decides to spend time with him in order to draw Spider on his side, and in turn, Spider teaches Korok about Navi culture. And I kind of saw this happening. That's I was, I was like, either the father's going to turn on the good side or the boy's going to turn on the father's side. And I just watched Empire Strikes Back. I don't know, what was it, uh, last night? Um and I actually watched a behind-the-scenes documentary today, and I was like, wow, it's amazing how much this movie is kind of on the same patterns of the parental aspects as uh, The Empire Strikes Back. Um, and so, I'm, you know, most of this I was uh, seemed very of the course, seemed natural. And we've also seen this kind of done before in other movies, not necessarily that this is doing it any, it's not revolutionary, revolutionizing anything at this point. Aware of the danger, 
Spider's knowledge of his whereabouts posed to their safety. Jake and his family exile themselves from the Om- Omotaka and retreat to the Medakaya um, clan at Pandorian, Pandora's eastern seaboard, where they are given shelter. Even though some of the tribesmen deride Jake and his children for their genetic human heritage, and everyone is calling them basically like half-bloods or whatever they called them in um, Harry Potter when you were half-wizard, half-not. It's kind of they're doing the same thing here, um, but they're half-navi. So what else do we have? Um, the family learns the ways of the reef people. Kiri develops a spiritual bond with the sea and creatures, and the Loak befriends uh Tressa, the daughter of the clan chief, uh, Tonoror, and his wife, Ranal. Who was... Okay, so, free diver of... Okay, so, yeah. Ron... Okay, so, Kate Winslet is... Okay, the... The wife. Okay, so, I was just trying to figure out who these actors were. Um, I haven't seen some of these people before, actually. So, um... Yeah, Stephen Lane, Cliff Curtis. Cliff Curtis always be playing everything. He plays every single he he plays every single race, including the Navi race. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um in CCH Pounder, of course. Um let me see. Da, 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 da. Jamie Flatters. I did not recognize the the two different sons that were Jake's and uh uh Natiri's real quick. Jamie Flow flounders sorry flatters is one i think i don't know who this guy is okay so he's been in a couple other things um and Britton dalton is the other son i guess as well so let's continue on where the hell are we um and so yeah i do love the visualization i kind of feel like the first half of this movie is is a little bit slower in pace just because it's a lot of catching up and a lot of things that we've kind of known, seen, people we've done, seen, known before, that kind of thing. The first hour and a half of this movie, maybe, maybe not that, maybe first hour of this movie feels like the same team that made the first movie. But then we come into this last two hours of Avatar 2 and it feels like a brand new revival. When you get to the water planet, when you get, you're on the water planet, when you get to the water world, it is just beautiful beyond belief. I mean, there's just scenes of them swimming with these giant whales and these like new little creatures. We see some of the old creatures at the old place, but the new creatures are all cool. Everyone, all of them seem very one with nature. We even have these like crocodile looking uh, fly fishing crossover hybrid breeds that they end up flying around. And I was like, you know, the, the, the creature design again, once again, works a plus a plus, um, nothing to say about, you know, negative to say on that at all. Um, and the high frame rate at this point when it was originally, it feels like they were turning on the high frame rate for just standard non-action scenes and then turning it off mid scene. It didn't even make sense to me, but, um, once we get to the water world, it seems like all the high frame rate stuff really flows and looks pretty seamless and smooth. Um, and uh, then we have, of course, the kids kind of bickering back and forth, picking at each other. Some like each other. Uh, it's kind of the 
the coming together of two tribes that you would kind of expect. And it's done really well and it's done beautifully. And it even goes to the point of when the, you know, one of the boys, one of Jake's sons is, you know, you know, taken out to the reef too far one day that they, you know, they're in an area they shouldn't be. And then real danger lurks. Um, but it ends up becoming one of the sweetest scenes of the movie. So, um, so yeah, uh, where are the dangerous spider nose? So the family learns the ways of the reef people. Kiri develops a spiritual bond with the sea and its creatures. Loag befriends Tessera and the daughter of the clan chiefs, Tonaro Wari, and his wife, Ranal. Loak gets into a fight with Tessera's brother, Anyang. I think that's how you said. When he returns to apologize at Jake's insistence, uh, Anyang and his friends entice him, entice him, to a trip into the territory of a dangerous sea predator and leave him stranded. Uh, Loak is saved by and befriends a Payakin. I think that's how you say it. An intelligent and uh, pacifistic Sentacean species known as a Tolkien, whom the Medicaean considers their spiritual family. Sorry, I was, I feel like I just like lost my body for a second. I was like, what the fuck language am I even speaking? Um, okay, so basically it's, Loak is basically saved by this big whale-like proxy. And it is hands down one of the most memorable scenes of the year in film, in movies, maybe in the last five years i don't want to go 10 years yet i can't remember in 10 years but maybe in the last five years um you know it's one of those scenes that feels like you're eating an apple whole like i was holding back the tears i was like this is so beautiful of this creature that probably doesn't even exist but it's supposed to be kind of these two creatures that don't exist of these an actor i've never even seen before it was like perfection you know it's what you really look for in storytelling uh to to make it move make make you moved i guess is kind of what i'm trying to say in a non-elegant manner manner um but anyways he befriends this whale and there's just shots of them like swimming together holding fins and you know he's he's helping them out pulling out these uh you know these spears that are have you know impaled him in certain areas and it was just really sad to see this happen. And you kind of get like a first person POV vision, whale vision. You can see him. And, you know, you, all you kind of see is this eyeball. Actually, I think it's two eyeballs, big eyeball, small eyeball. And they're kind of just both looking at Loak. And um, it is just a moving ass scene. I was like, good God. And every scene the whale was in, I was just like, oh. And it's got that, um, it's got that feeling of uh you know me and my dog kind i kind of i don't know if there's a specific name for that type of genre or movie but it's you know when you know you have a a main character and he befriends a dog and you just love their connection and of course there's the probably the inevitable the dog has to either die or becomes endangered or something you just don't want anything to happen to that dog that's what this whale is for loak um 
and you know Loak. I mean, they become more friends than they do like pet. He's not really like his pet. He's more like his friend. Um, but then you know you see like how his his arm, his fin has been chopped off on one side, and he's just been in pain. And you get like a flashback vision of what he's had to go through of why he's an outcast. And um, it's just it it's a really sweet but sad story. I think that this entire movie is can kind of be summed up as sweet but sad. Um, so, okay, so Loak is, uh, saved by, uh, Pyakin. Um, upon his return, Loak takes the blame on himself winning Anyak's friendship, but is told that Pyakin is an outcast among his species. On a trip to Medikayan's Tree of Souls, Kiri links with it to meet her mother, but suffers a violent seizure, and in this kind of link honestly everything with uh kiri is just beautiful because she's mostly just kind of you know uh, uh she's one with yahweh one with the water one with you know the way of the water and all you know she's glowing and all of these animals and creatures are all around her and she's just like immediately on board and into being engulfed in this in in this community and in the best way. Um, and so when she gets this violent seizure, when she's asked her mother um, who her father was, which some people were saying is a Norm Spellman, which I don't think so. He's not even in the movie. I, I think if it was anybody, it would probably be Miles Cork because every other character I can think of doesn't make any sense that she would be with or even had shared a scene with. Um, I don't think it'd be Giovanni Ribisi because I don't think that that dude could hit, hit anything <laughs> as that character. I just did, I was like, I don't I don't know who it is. Um, so I find it interesting that they bring it up so specifically and say, you know, what is this? So she is healed by Renal, but when Jake calls Norm Spellman and Max Patel for help, Max Patel put on the side again and definitely looks 10 years older. Just with the hair and everything, Corrick is able. I had a tr- I had trouble kind of figuring out. Wait, how long had it been? Because a lot of the human characters from the first movie weren't in there, so everyone that had lived for ten years was a blue person now. And I was like, it's hard to tell the age mm-hmm. of Jake at this point, uh, or people around him. So, and we also don't really we we get a new colonel miles but it's a woman and she's basically doing the exact thing that he was doing in the first movie from you know walking them down in the the big suits to drinking drinking the coffee to you know basically being the same guy that he was um i can't remember her name but uh i i might find it on here as we continue um let's uh let's continue so uh, Norm, Max, come for help. Basically, just say how wrong, how bad of condition she's in, but, you know, can't really do much. Um, Korik is able to track them to the archipelago where the reef people live, bringing Spider with him. He command, he commanders, commands, commanders a whaling vessel, which is hunting Tolkien's to harvest their brain enzymes for creating anti-aging remedies. I thought this was a little bit, like, specific but i was like are y'all not like harvesting the the blubber or whatever the whale fat like i think that most people that hunt these things usually do but i don't know what the hell um basically it's a violent ass attack and very 
uh, sad and scary attack of one of the whales after. Okay, so I haven't. Uh, let me kind of back up a little bit. Um, the entire community of the the water navi. I don't really know what they're called again. Um, the water navi. Um, basically go swimming and they they meet up with all these uh Pakayan whales and they all be kind of come friends and they haven't seen them for a very long time and they catch up and they you know they they connect the hair ties to it and um and um be kind of become one with the whale and um the whale that is attacked in the next scene with the RDAs and and Corix is the whale that was Renal's which is Kate Winslet's uh kind of whale bond um it, it's her whale that she's bonded with and so and notably she's pregnant this whole time and I, I think that that was on purpose um so yeah this entire scene of the whale hunting they just harpoon 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 i'm like no like the entire time i'm like fuck 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 you know i I was like rocking back and forth in my seat in my seat i was like do you see this like looking at random people in the thing grabbing the dude beside me i was like do you see this i was like thank get my god you got to be like that so so i was um i was a little upset watching this i was like i can't believe y'all doing me like this and nobody none of the navi are there to help and so it is highly upset uh, upsetting just seeing them come across the whale and of course uh seeing a navi cries uh, i don't know something just it's it's almost worse than see it's not even like a cry it's like a whale and it is just uh, like a wailing cry i don't mean like a, a pun but it's like a wailing cry it's like yeah it's like it is the worst <laughs> it's like oh my god stop it is making me um so sad and um to know that they're just basically uh, abusing the fuck out of this thing. It's like they just, they, and they just spread eagle this whale and have it floating to the top. And then they go inside it and they jack it with this fucking drill. They're like, yeah, it's a really beautiful animal. Like no subtlety at all. Um, and it, you know, and of course they bring down this like juice nectar stuff where this like little needle goes and like extracts this like yellow gooey stuff that apparently is the anti-aging stuff that is really not explained for the rest of the movie. Um, which yeah, we'll talk maybe, I don't know if we'll talk about that ever again, but anyways, it makes a little bit more sense than unobtainium, I guess, but still really fucked up, really traumatizing kind of, um, uh, not traumatizing. It's just really upsetting because this is, it's kind of like what's really happening in the earth today, you know, with, hunting of whales and mammoths and you know elephants and shit like that you know you got to watch out for that you know it's just, i don't know what to do um so uh yeah and everyone knows that james cameron has this big love for the ocean so this is where this kind of aligns his his calling his love so um okay so where are we at um, okay, so links. Uh, so the whale is attacked and is super brutal. Korich begins to brutally question the indigenous tribes about um, Jake's location. Failing that, he orders the whaling crew to uh, wantingly kill the Tolkens in order to draw Jake out. Loak mentally links with Pyakin and learns that Tolkien was cast out because he went against the ways of his species and attacked the whalers who killed his mother which fuck him 
Fuck those R- RPD, well, RDAs. Um, when the Medicaean learn of the slaughter of the Tolkens, um, Loak takes off to warn Pyakin. I gotta say, I was a little bit confused about why Pyakin was uh, um, considered an outcast, because from what I thought we had just saw that he was just attacked and that he attacked back, I guess, but I didn't, I guess I didn't understand that that was his mother. So when Medikayan learns of, um, learn of the slaughter of the Tolkens, Loak takes off to warn Pyakin, followed by his siblings, Tesserae and Anyak. They find Pyakin, uh, being chased by the whalers and Loak. Tessera and Took are captured by Corix. They are captured twice in this movie, and I think the first one could have we could have done without. With the children in danger, Jake and Natiri and the Medicaean Kanya uh, set out to confront the humans. Corix forces Jake to surrender, but seeing his seeing his soul brother imperil, imperiled. Pyakin attacks the whalers, triggering a fight which kills most of the crew. And this final fight, like the first one, it was epic. <laughs> Just fucking big ass fucking ships against some big ass fucking arrows and some big ass blue people. It was wild. It, the whole thing was wild. I mean, I can only say so much about it without you going to see it. Um, I. I had a fantastic time watching it. I just think that three hours... At this point, I had been in the movie theater for three hours, and there was still 30 minutes left because I'm not including the trailers. I was ready to... I was very much ready to head out almost any time at the third movie... uh, At the third act, mostly because I had been there for three hours. I was like, this is a fantastic movie. I love a lot of fantastic movies. I don't need to sit here for three hours. I don't feel like it was justified to be three. I mean, it's putting as much shit as you can, uh, you know, as much stuff, story, character, love, money on the screen as possible. I still didn't need to be. It's just difficult for me to sit there for three hours or expect someone to sit there for three hours. And I guess some people will be like, well, you watch a 10-hour Jeffrey Dahmer series and horrible shit's fucked up all in that for 10 hours. And yeah, but I can pause it anytime. I'm laying on my couch when I'm watching it. I don't have to pay attention. I can go cook something. I can. I don't have to have my full undivided attention. And I just think I was just sitting there at two and a half hours, not including the 20 minutes. I, I mean, it, it just just think about it. Just out of the movie... So if it's a three-hour film, 20, 25 minutes of trailers, it takes 20, 25 minutes to get there. That's almost a four hours devoted completely just to this movie, um, give or take how close you live to the theater. You know, if you don't live close, then fuck. Um, you know, just go ahead and block off half your week for it. But um, you know what I'm saying? So and don't even get me started on recording the podcast. Got to record it, export, upload. You know what? The, it's a fucking thing. Um, anyways, it's a lot of Avatar. But anyways, we're going to we're going we're gonna to get her out. Um, so, yeah, the um, where am I at? The Korok fight forces Jake to surrender. But seeing his soul brother imperiled. 
Pyakin attacks the whalers, triggering a fight. And that is a fucking badass. It's like, it was like, Eat. and it's just like, boom. And I was like, dude, this is fucking sick. And I was like, this is what we came for. You know, this is the James Cameron action that we came for. A fight which kills most of the crew, critically damages the vessel, causing it to sink. And we have like these two, Jermaine uh, Clement and this other random guy. I forgot his fucking name. Um, I guess this is Captain Brendan Cowell, I guess. Let me see. Is it is it Brendan Cowell? Yeah, I think so. He's just like one of the guys that's just taking a lot. He's one of the British colonizer scientists assholes that is trying to... Um, Captain Mick... Scoresby is trying to hunt the whales uh, and or the Tolkien, I think it's what it's called. And at one point he gets like pinned up against the wall, arm up like this, gets one of those um, like really thick wires up against his arm and it just slices that bad boy off just like the whale. So it was a little bit of comeuppance for him, I guess. And then he gets thrown off into the river or into the ocean. Um, but yeah, uh, let me see who else we got. And um, Tessera and Spider. Sorry, I'll find out what it calls this thing. Natayim rescues Loak. Uh, Tessera and Spider, but is fatally shot. Um, vengeful Jake faces Court, who uses Kiri as a hostage. Again, we are kidnapping the kids. Kids are kidnapped three times in this movie. Um, when Natiri does the same with Spider, Korik at first denies his son, but desists when Natiri cuts Spider across his chest. And I was like, I'm not really sure if I believe Natiri would even hurt the kid. Like, she's basically raised the kid for 10 years. I was like, there isn't no way. And I don't even think that that kid would even believe that Natiri would do anything. Jake, Korik, Natiri, and Took end up trapped inside the sinking vessel. And this thing is, it's, it's straight up avatar is now in Titanic. And so this fucking ship is just turning, just everything's like, it's like, Oh, well, here we go. And, uh, I was genuinely scared. The entire family split up in like three different quarters. You got, you got the, uh, you got Natiri and the little girl, you got Kira, Kiri and the boy, and then you got Jake fighting uh, Miles Corrick, and, you know, eventually we all know how everything turns up. It's just like a fight, a struggle. Then we got, you know, some of uh, Kiri using some of the ocean water bending powers and stuff like that, and um, yeah, so Jake, Corrick, uh, and Tiri end up trapped inside the sinking vessel. Jake strangles Corrick into unconsciousness and is rescued by Loak. And Pyakin, while Kiri summons sea creatures to help her save Natiri and Took. Spider finds and rescues Korik, but renounces him for his cruelty and rejoins Jake's family. Um, I thought this was kind of sweet that, you know, Spider ends up saving Korik. I don't know if he necessarily deserves to be saved for a third fucking movie. Um... Unless we kill him again and then get the third Korok clone. After Natayim's funeral, I gotta say, the death of Natayim, I was already very sad about the whale. I was already very sad about the first whale. I was very sad about Kate Winslet's whale. And now I'm moderately sad about Jake Sully's oldest son who has some screen time, but not nearly as much as the one that actually had the connection with the whale. 
mixed feelings about it. I got to say, it definitely triggers the emotional heartstrings on on me personally, just the, the father-son connection kind of thing that really gets me. But, um, or just parental, it doesn't necessarily have to be father-son, could be daughter, father, whatever, um, or mother, daughter, whatever. Um, but I got to say, it felt like we had already hit a low point of this movie, and it, that just hit another low point. And there's just not enough time for the characters to process this death. And I've seen this happen a couple times in movies where kind of recently it's like this big formative death that happens at the climactic moment of the movie, but our characters have to mentally bring themselves up and continue to fight. And sometimes I think it's believable. And then sometimes I don't think it's believable. Sometimes I feel like it makes it turn the the characters to start fighting for a vengeful reason. And that's not necessarily one of the most um, emotionally investing ways to end a movie, but it kind of worked. I mean, we get Natiri fucking badass. You know, the the entire time I was thinking in this movie that um, one of my favorite things about the Avatar 2009 was when um, the Avatar were fighting the humans in the last scene in the very the end when they're just 10 foot tall big ass beings chucking dudes right to you know out of a fucking uh 70 story high mountain or something like that or flying in the sky in a ship or something you know it was so cool seeing that in the first movie and so i was like you know for this movie being 10 years in the making i was like surprisingly there's not a lot of hand-to-hand combat in the way that I thought there was going to be, and then they save it all for the end. In the end, the action, whoopsh, whoopsh, whoopsh. There's one point where Spider grabs this fire extinguisher and blam, this guy in the head. I was like, God dang. I was like, I think they really hit that guy. I was like, somebody need to check on that actor. That actor might actually be dead. <laughs> but, um, uh, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, consciousness and reserve yeah, trapped inside the sinking vessel. Jack strangles Jake strangles Corrid. Spider finds and rescues Corrid. Rescues him for his cruelty. Um, renounces him for his cruelty and rejoins Jake's family after Natiri's funeral. Jake informs uh, Tonari and Renal on his of his decision to leave the Medicayan Kanye Medicon Kanye Medicanya. Um, Tanawari, however, respectfully identifies him as part of the clan and invites his family to stay, mostly because they just buried his son and his son kind of bit the bullet, or bit the dust, whatever. Um, Jake and his family accept and forge a new life at the shore of the sea, and Jake vows to continue fighting the human invaders. And then we get some pretty, pretty nice B-roll over the end credits with some uh, funky weekend vibes. So, um, yeah, that's Avatar, The Way of Water, 2022. Let me know what you thought about the review. Let me know what you thought about the movie. Like I said earlier, it's about an 8 out of 10. Um, very moving, very spectacle heavy, very much an experience you want to see with people. Something 
you're going to want to go see. These types of movies don't happen very often, obviously. So, um, yeah, you might want to go check this one out. Do you need to see it in 3D? I kind of, the more I go through it, I, I want to say that it's a good experience, not a great experience in 3D. There's similar to the high frame rate. It seems to kind of level out at certain points that I was... I, Toward the third act, I was like, what do I think about the 3D, really? it's not giving, It wasn't really giving me a headache or anything, like some people say, but it was, like, noticeable. I would say, like, there's certain scenes that feel like, oh, let's turn the 3D on, let's turn it off. Let's turn the 3D on, let's turn it off. You know, it similar to the high frame rate, it felt like certain scenes were meant to be way more 3D, you know, coming out at you and whatnot. The water splashing on the camera or, or whatever. Um... But yeah, I was um I was entertained. <laughs> so uh you know, and of course everyone that is uh following the Lucky Dog podcast on all of the social medias and uh checking us out on the website luckydogpodcast.com. I see you. Thank you for listening, watching Lucky Dog podcast. Take it easy. See, the I see you thing just is weird. It's it's like I tried it. I tried it at the end, and it's weird. It's it's like I <laughs> like like uh, I see you. Maybe maybe it's how you say it. Maybe it's like I see you, <laughs> or more like I see you. <laughs> All right, never mind. Um, uh, thank you for listening, watching Lucky Doll Podcast. Take it easy.